Bring it in. Read option podcast back. And boys, college football season is officially over. The NFL Ooh. regular season is officially over. The Ooh. Michigan Wolverines are your national champions. Double the playoff field is set for the NFL playoffs. Uh, lots to get to on this episode. We do have the full crew. Vito uh, had to go take a work call real quick, so uh, he will hop back on momentarily. We're on a bit of a time crunch today. Wanted to record today, not yesterday, because we wanted to have our reaction to the national championship uh, game that was last night. So we'll start with that, and then uh, we'll get into some of the news. We've had a few more fires, uh, head coaches fired. Uh, we were just saying before we started recording, kind of a quiet Black Monday. Only one coach fired technically on Monday, but we did have the end of the Arthur Smith era in Atlanta. We had the end of the Ron Rivera era in uh, Washington. And then as of this afternoon, the Tennessee Titans have moved on from head coach Mike Vrabel. Um, so we will get into the national championship stuff. First, we'll hit the coaching stuff. And then we will take a peek back at week 18, the stuff that matters, and uh, maybe glance a little bit ahead, you know, recap the season as we get ready to. Uh, I, I think it's valuable this time of year, Scotty, to look back on the season that just happened before the playoffs. Like, I think this this little gap right here between the time that the playoffs uh, are getting ready to start and the time the regular season ends, it's a good time to look back on the whole picture of what the season was of the regular season, because we have this now the postseason, this whole second half of the year starting up. Uh, and, and there's a lot to kind of use to like, hey, this was the story arc of the Buffalo Bills, right? How weird their season was as we kind of progress moving forward. So we'll get into all that stuff. But Vito's back. Scotty's here. How are we doing, boys? It's great to see you guys. Oh, beautiful. We have playoff football coming up this weekend. Super wild card weekend. We just had the natty. We just had the crazy ending of the season. There's so this is this is when football is king. This is the best part of football is the end of the regular season going into the playoffs and this run to get a championship. It's the best time of the year for football, in my opinion. That's just me. Uh, I love I think this, for, so for, could be for quality of football for quality of football. I think you're absolutely right. But uh, to to every good thing, uh, there is an end and. That just means we're one week close. Not to sound pessimistic, but that just means we're one week closer to nothing but watching hockey on ESPN Plus and and figuring out which uh, which darts match which darts match we're gonna bet on. Um, you know, when we're into uh, soccer, yeah. When we got to, oh yeah, too. So I mean, if there's soccer uh, football uh, in Europe, we always uh, we always say that there. though. You know, this is what the fourth playoffs we've covered on the pod. Yeah. Wow, yeah. that's that's pretty wild, right? Because we started at the end of the 2020 season. It's true. And so but it was those... the end 2020, 2021, 2022, 20. Yeah, this is our fourth playoffs. And we always say the same, the same thing. And don't get me wrong. There's nothing better than Sunday football. There's nothing better than fall Sundays where you, you know you're just going to be locked in front of Scott Hansen for the next seven hours of commercial free football. Like we, <clears throat> it is the best. But we also got a bunch of fun stuff coming too. You know, we've we've gotten our masters commercials. Masters? Yeah. Um, oh God. I texted you dude, that, that hit last night last in the week. natty. 
<clears throat> in the natty there's just a master's commercial i don't know if it was on the alternate feed or whatever and no, I, I it, it was a beautiful moment it was yeah. so cool yeah there was a there i was i forget when it was but uh like last saturday maybe it, it was, was the day the before Bowl. yeah maybe it was that but it was the day before you texted us and our group chat seeing saying the masters thing and i had seen a master's commercial the night before and i did the 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 once upon a time in Hollywood, Leonardo DiCaprio meme of pointing at the TV, you know, holding a beer in my hand and, Oh, look, look, you know, because Georgia. that, yeah, we, we, we know we love the masters on the spot, but we got March madness. Mm-hmm. We have the NBA playoffs. We're going to get some time to dive into all that stuff. So that there'll be yeah. plenty. And of course, NFL yeah. is still King. So we're going to have a ton of, a uh, ton of draft stuff to get into uh, yeah. this year as well, with a ton of fun stuff. That now that we know what our draft order is, at least, but not including the playoff teams, uh, there's going to be a lot of really interesting stuff with some really big name quarterbacks going on. Uh, one of which is Michael Penix. Uh, a little transition there for you. Uh, Michael Penix, Washington, projected to be a first round pick this year, uh, but all that will change and get moved around. We'll see where he ends up. Uh, him and his Washington Huskies fell short last night. The Michigan Wolverines win. And I don't know how you guys felt. We we really didn't talk much during the game. Um, I, I felt like it was a pretty easy understanding of like what happened in this game, right? I don't think Michigan is that much better than Washington. Definitely not with the the final score indicated, right? I think Michigan is a very very good football team. I think they were cut and dry the best team in in the country from start to finish. But I think what happened last night was a simple case of. Michigan came out and they played their B plus A minus game and Washington came out and they played their C minus game like Washington continually time after time shooting themselves in the foot. Uh, I I don't think, you know, the officiating wasn't great. There was a couple of missed calls. There was a questionable holding call uh, and an important drive in the fourth quarter. Um, But look, for the most part, like I, I I didn't think Washington played well enough to deserve any sort of benefit of the doubt. You know, I don't think Washington played well enough to look back in that game and be like, oh, well, the ref screwed them. It's like, no, they screwed themselves, whether it was drops or, or uh, un-Penix-like mistakes that he was just missing wide-open guys in big moments. Uh, obviously, the injury to Dylan Johnson, he played in this game, but he was not 100%. Uh, Got to give credit to Michigan's defensive line, who I felt did a really good job of just being disruptive, moving Penix off of his spots. And that's one of the things Penix does better than any other quarterback in the country – is his ability to navigate the pocket. And even, you know, you can navigate the pocket really, really well all you want, but if there's not a pocket to navigate, then there's not really much you can do. And I just felt like there was a lot of small mistakes. The, and the coverage, I, too. That I mean, that was one thing that killed them. Their secondary for Michigan played out of their mind. Yeah, um, absolutely. But I felt like when there were opportunities, and like, look, this was a one-score game, you know, coming into halftime and, and shout out, everyone talked about Washington's defense and yes, the first half Michigan was able to run the football and they got two big touchdowns from Donovan Edwards very early in that game. But to me, like once those two touchdowns got scored in the first quarter, Washington's defense tightened up. And if you had told me like, Hey, going in into the fourth quarter, Washington held Michigan to just 20 points. I'd say, I would expect Washington to be ahead by a touchdown in that game and to be in control of that game. And the offense just was never really able to get on the page. And I, it felt like there was a lot of small mistakes. It felt like they weren't quite living up to the moment uh, the way that Michigan was. And at the end of the day, Michigan played, like I said, they brought their B plus A minus game. Washington brought their C minus D plus game. And 
that to me was kind of the story. Like, I think there are two equally talented teams. I think if you play this game a hundred times, I think it'd probably get land somewhere between 60, 40, 55, 45. I really do think they were that close. I just think we saw a very undisciplined uh, and, and a team in Washington that just didn't look like that the entire season. They kind of waited for the worst moment to play their worst game of the year. Uh, and that's ultimately what kind of cost them in this. But shout out to Michigan because, like I said, they ran the ball early in the first half. They made big plays in the secondary to ice that game out. And the defensive line made Penix uncomfortable to, to a point that he was never able to get into a rhythm. And that was kind of all she wrote. I mean, 300 yards on the ground for Michigan, over 300 yards. It, it, to me, the best player, like I know they gave it to Corum, which whatever. Like they should have just given it to the offensive line. And, and in honesty, I think they, to your point, and the defensive line, but those two lines of scrimmage won the game for Michigan. That's where their program is being built at. Um, it's incredible to see. And, like, as another, right, we're Big Ten fans, and I, I don't love Michigan, but I'll tell you what, like, I don't even care. I was talking to one of my best friends who went to Ohio State, and even Haley last night was like, man, you take those colors off. I really respect the way they play. Yeah. Like, the way that they play football. It's Think about the last team – the last team is probably Mark Ingram's Alabama year that like a team just ran it like the old school pro offense and won a national championship. It's been a yeah. while. I mean, Derek so, like, Henry, I think Derek Henry had so, like 1900 yeah. yards that year. I just looked that up recently, actually. Um, but they you're hundred percent yeah, right. Vita hundred yeah. it, percent. It's just crazy. So it was really, it's fun to see this. I think it, it, it looks like a pro offense. It was a perfect transition to like, I don't know, the playoffs are coming and everything in the NFL what happens with Harbaugh um, coaching vacancies, all this other news, but I guess like to stay on the game. Yeah. That offensive line was incredible and good for Harbaugh, man. I, I yeah. definitely the coolest moment that everybody saw was like his brother coming over mid second quarter and just hugging him like, Hey, Hey, it's up. Hey, it's your bro. Like, yeah, he was, he was so pissed off. <laughs> like Jim's reaction was so like brother. What the fuck, man. And then he saw yeah, like, Jim, Jim and he was like, John. He's like, Oh, okay. How's it going? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, middle of the game. That was funny. I know, Scotty, what I've did, you, what did you take away? <laughs> yeah, the hell with the hard boss. Uh, listen, uh, Michigan, like you said, was was top to bottom uh, throughout the year, one of the, the best teams in the country, and they proved it. Uh, and to Vito's point, yeah, that's where that's how most Big Ten powers get built is is on the on the lines. And you see that's how teams in the NFL are going. Uh, so why wouldn't it work in college, especially with a guy who has head coaching experience in the NFL? in Harbaugh makes perfect sense. So uh, I think there was a little bit of a chip on the shoulder for the O-line for Michigan after Washington, uh, they won back-to-back years. They won the Joe Moore award in 21 and 22 and Washington took it this year in 23. I think that was probably something that they, they looked at, especially with their best uh, interior offensive lineman being out. Um, I think that was something that, that they went into this game was like, all right, let's show them. Let's, let's just go up and body these guys. Uh, and, and run the ball down their trope, uh, which they've done all season long. And it look, I, I I was texting some of our other Penn State friends, Vito. Those two Donovan Ever, Donovan Edwards runs. Remember two years ago when he played us, it was like seven carries, 190 yards, and two touchdowns or something like that. It was like unbelievable. And I was he's like, yeah, here we go. Uh, this is another Donovan Edwards game. Um, and yeah, he's he's really talented. That whole that that whole unit's really talented, and that's how they win football games. And then JJ McCarthy, as much as I dislike him and his stupid face hit the <laughs> hit the the right passes at the right moments um you know he's a gamer he's a, he's a baller that's what he does so 
uh, good for them, I guess. Two Big Ten teams. Oh, look, we're the best conference in the land now. Uh, we had the two teams in the national championship game. Uh, the Big Ten did, and uh, and it'll be it'll be fun to see moving forward because look, these are two teams that built kind of similar ways. Um, and, and even Ohio State and, and Penn State to a, a lesser degree, I feel like are are, are similar. So, and, and Oregon too, for for that matter as well. So it'll be interesting to see the new guys from the Pac-12 come in um, and see how the conference sort of shapes around, uh, build around the the trenches, have a good running game, and then and then get your guys who who can also make explosives, uh, which which Michigan did really well this year, and I think Ohio State has done in the past, and and Penn State is capable of, and we know Oregon and Washington clearly are. USC is another one. So uh, we'll see, man, moving forward. It's going to be a, a, an interesting time uh, next season uh, once we yeah. get into uh, to, to all the, the muck of it. Uh, it'll be really fun, I think, and, and good for the sport. The one uh, note I did have was uh, I wrote this down in my apps, like during the game, during my note app, um, that they showed the college football playoff history, the four-team history. And it started with Ohio State beating Oregon. Mm-hmm. And then it ended with their two rivals playing each other, Michigan beating Oh, that's Washington. interesting. Yeah. And then both of them are coming to the Big Ten and all of this. And like I hope I hope some of those teams start to develop a little bit of a rivalry. But it's just it's a wild perspective that like for us, right? This is our adult lives. Like we were all Jeff, were you in college in 2014? I was, yeah, it was my freshman year of college. Yeah. Yeah. So like this is like right out of high school, like we've known this style of football. And I think the 12 team is going to be around for a longer time than just this. Um, I think we can all sense that. And and it's going to be a little different. So uh this is just a short era. So for for the rest of our lives, we'll be talking about this 10 year this, era. This four year, yeah. Yeah, but when it yeah. was 14. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we'll be able to we'll be, ah, you don't understand. Back in the oh, day. Jameis against Marcus. Remember that? <laughs> back, yeah. back in the day, man. The the Clemson, Jameis. Alabama years. I mean, look, the 14 playoff was flawed from the beginning. We've covered that on the pod before. Um, but it definitely led to some really memorable and awesome moments. And and it's it's cool. You're right, the 12 team playoff, I don't think it's going anywhere else. But what I do think is I think who who's eligible for those to be in those 12 spots that's going to change over the next 10 to 15 years as we yeah, especially p- with potentially the yeah we're going to move to eventually a two conference college football league like we are we're just going to it's going to mm-hmm. be like a ma- like a mega sized NFL in terms yeah. of the formatting except it's just going to be college players and that's going to be really fun right and there'll be little subdivisions and ultimately right it's it's kind of like, uh, you know, just re- it's like Taco Bell, right? It's the same five ingredients just mixed around into different different shapes and sizes. That's basically what we're doing with conference realignment, which is that at the end of this, it's all going to be like re- they're going to be like, hey, you know what? And it kind of makes sense. Like Oregon and Washington and USC, UCLA, they're in the Big Ten, but they're on the out on the West Coast. So they're going to be their own subdivision, right? It's going to start to boil Vision. down like yeah, that. Yeah, like yeah. That. <laughs> and it's going to be like, you know, we should really separate this into like five. Maybe we'll call them conferences. You know, and that's just because it's all cyclical. Like, that's just eventually what's yeah. going to happen. But it will be a better product in the long run. A um, couple of things I wanted to add here, just as as we're kind of wrapping up the national championship talk. Not taking any credit away from, from Michigan when I say that I felt like Washington didn't show up. Because Michigan did. And more importantly, when Washington had moments and, and felt like, all right, they're starting to get on a drive here. Or they would get an opportunity like, hey, there were, what, three drives in the second half where they were uh, one su- one touchdown away from tying the game. Like they had the yeah. ball and all touch- of them either did in punts or the, uh, or the, the field goal. Yeah. Right. So, 
every single time they did, and the interception too coming out of halftime, right? So it's like they they had plenty of opportunities. Michigan's defense played great, but I think offensively, Washington's offense and their inability to move the ball, particularly like I, I saw a stat that like Penix had 45 throws this year um, that were of like ex- that were explosive plays. It was like 25 yards or more downfield, and it led all of college football. And on those throws in that game, he was one for six with uh, with two interceptions. Like when 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 you're getting that kind of performance out of a guy who you know people thought hindsight was should he have won the Heisman was was Penix really the best player in college football this year. Uh, when you're getting that kind of a performance in a big game, and it's not just him, the running back who had the easy first down on third, uh, it was like third down and four, and they threw the swing pass and he just flat out dropped it, would have been an easy first down. Uh, the holding penalty that negated the big 45-yard chunk Which play. was ticky-tack. It was, right? And that's the thing. It's like you can mention a couple of these, you know, questionable play, uh, you know, penalty calls. But that ultimately wasn't really what what lost this game is that Washington just didn't play good football. They came out and they had their worst performance of the year on the biggest stage. And yeah, that sucks. But I don't think the gap between these two teams was as drastic as the final score indicated, especially considering that through 85 percent, if not 90 percent of that game, you know, it, it was a one possession game or at least felt like it was still relatively close. Washington just couldn't get the ball rolling. And credit to Michigan for capitalizing on every single opportunity that was like, hey, Washington just had a chance to go tie this game. What are you going to do about it? And a little bit in that third quarter, they kind of sputtered out and the offense slowed down and you saw Washington's defense keep them in that game for a while. Michigan eventually had the opportunity with the big pick, uh, not pick six, but the big interception and run back to then capitalize on a touchdown there. That kind of ended up feeling like it was icing the game away. That's when I was like, all right, I can watch the rest of this game from bed and and, and check in at the end of it. And that's ultimately what happened. Um, Sharon Moore, I thought did a really, really great, uh, job calling this game. I think if John, Jim Harbaugh leaves, I think he's your head coach right there. He filled in those three games without Jim Harbaugh when he was serving the suspension. I think Sharon Moore should be your next head coach if Harbaugh were to leave for the NFL this year, which is a whole nother topic and conversation we can have here uh, in, in the coming weeks uh, as we kind of navigate this head coaching circuit. But the thing I wanted to say about Michigan to kind of put the whole bow on it is and I'm not sure exactly what the best way of like what the best analogy would be for this. But in my head, it's like when when they started with this nucleus of Blake Corum, Donovan Edwards, uh, you know, they had the end of Nico Collins there. They had a couple other Donovan Peoples Jones had a couple other wide receivers that would kind of float around with uh with that team. And you had the two QB system with McCarthy as a freshman and Cade McNamara, right? They were always good in the offensive line, to your point, Scotty, right? 2021-2022. They they were in the mix for potential college football playoff. They make the playoff, uh, you know, three straight years. They get blown out by Georgia. Then they lose that heartbreaker last year. And what was really cool about this game as a fan and someone who pays close attention to, to college football is this nucleus of what this team was was the Harbaugh identity throughout his entire time at Michigan, right? Which was be really strong in the trenches, which takes a while to develop because you got to get the recruits. And then it's not till their junior year, really, that you're seeing the full-sized bodies and those monsters that they have, particularly on the offensive line. And that was like this tiny little snowball at the top of a mountain, right? It's like, that's what the core is. That's what the vision is. And he never deviated from that. The entire time, since, since he stepped foot in Ann Arbor as the head coach, that's been the identity of this team. This is how we're going to do it, right? And just the way the passing, the stuff they ask of J.J. McCarthy, 
They're asking J.J. McCarthy to run the same offense now that they did when he was a freshman. You know, the same concept plays, the same getting him out in space. That one throw that uh, the the wide receiver dropped uh, on the deep crossing route with the the fake and the, the little motion action, he rolls out to his right. Unbelievable throw by McCarthy. Hit him right in stride. The yeah. guy drops it. That's a, throw, that's a throw that you're not sure he's making when he's a freshman, for sure. But it's the same scheme, same concept. You're running behind... Blake Corm, you're running behind Donovan Edwards. You're running behind these guys doing the same thing, but they just got better at it and bigger and stronger and faster. And they perfected this style that they've been building now for Harbaugh. It's been what, seven years at Michigan, but the last four since McCarthy in this core has been there has been perfecting this style of offense to the point that when they stepped out and this year and everything clicked and they had the right, they're probably going to break the record for most players drafted. Harbaugh was saying that, that I think the record's like 15 or 16. They're looking at like 18 to 19 guys from this roster who are going to end up getting drafted which is a crazy, crazy number. But that's kind of what this team is. And they've all grown together doing it their way. And I have a ton of respect for uh, an organization, a program, not an organization, but a program that can organize and create a culture and build it over a long, sustainable time period to eventually reach that mountaintop, as opposed to the one complaint that Jim Bob in Arkansas is going to tell you about is, all this transfer portal nonsense and all this NIL, like that, you know, it's ruining college football, right? Because you can go out and you can go get Michael Penix. You can get these guys in the transfer portal and Caleb Williams, all these guys who want to transfer around. Michigan did it the exact opposite way. They were the antithesis. They're the team that Jim Bob and Arkansas should love because it was the slow build using their identity that Jim Harbaugh started on day one, seven, eight years ago when he took over this job. And to end it, if this is the end for him, at the pinnacle of the sport, holding the trophy, winning the national championship, I think that's really fucking cool. And I think he deserves a ton of credit for what he's done and the commitment to what they've been building there in Ann Arbor for the better part of the last decade. You know, with some ups and downs in between, you know, the COVID year, they were they were like 500. They had some tough goes of it. Well, they were calling for his job at one point, like yeah. legitimately, not just yeah. because like, oh, we had a bad year. We're Michigan. Like, no, yeah. it was like a sustained like you cannot keep getting this close and then losing to Ohio State every year and knock us out. Like, and that's, that's not, or, or losing to Penn State and knocking us out. Like, and that's, that's my argument to Ohio State fans who want Ryan Day gone. Like, yeah, I get exactly. it. Ohio State fans, Michigan fans, you all say the same thing, right? I can beat Michigan and lose every other game and I'll be happy, whatever. No, you fucking won't. If you went one in 10, so not but you beat Michigan, yeah. you'd be furious. Like, let's not stop pretending that that's an actual thing. It sounds good. It sounds like oh, I'm the diehard fan who's saying that, but it's complete and utter bullshit. And we all know that. I am always just really impressed by what we've seen from Jim Harbaugh because Jimbo Fisher was on part of my take last week and he, they were talking about Bobby Bowden and Bobby Bowden had multiple like five to six year stretches throughout his career in the eighties when he was building up Florida state, where they went six and six, where they went five and seven, where they uh, went same. four like, and eight, where they had really, you know, how many seasons years. did we have that were shit that like at Penn state that everyone was like, ah, should we get rid of Joe? Like, but we like, have, no. <laughs> we have this culture now, especially with the buy, with the buyout money and the contracts and the boosters and everything else, where it's like, if you don't have it flipped around in three years, you're gone. And there's and now granted, Jim Harbaugh is one of the few guys who has the gravitas to kind of hold on to that job and weather that storm. But like if the same situation, like alma mater, a guy going back to his alma mater to be the head coach was at Texas, 
He yeah. would not have lasted that long. If it yeah. was LSU, it wouldn't have lasted that long. If it's Bama or Auburn or any of those big SEC schools, there is something to it in an era where people are so quick to move off of people after a down season or a, a slower stretch, or you lose to Ohio State, you know, five, six years in a row. Yeah. Well, you beat them three in a row now with the same guy that you wanted to fire back in 2020. And and I I don't know like I'm not like diehard Jim Harbaugh guy but I do like Jim Harbaugh and I'm happy for him and I love that they I think it proves that you can win in college football in a bunch of different ways you can yeah. win attacking the transfer portal you can win dominating recruiting you can win by building out a culture over a long period of time to create sustained success and I think I think he deserves a ton of credit for it and I think it should. In an era, too, as we're expanding the playoff and we're hoping for more parity moving forward, I think that should make college football fans really excited about what we have in the future. And I think Harbaugh is the, the pinnacle of that, you know. And, um, yeah, and shout out to Michigan. I know you guys aren't happy as Penn State people, but, well, yeah, hey, but Big Ten title, I mean, that's – you'll take, well, one, Ten was, take one for the conference. Big yeah, Ten was going to win it either way. Um, but, yeah, no, that's the, the difference between, like, our program, for example, Vito, and, and Michigan is they – we get the – almost the same talent coming in and they're able to have an identity and a scheme and develop it and build guys up uh, through their, how many offensive coordinators have Michigan had in the last six years? Two. Well, it's funny. What have we had? Seven. No, like, mean, they, they, like that's the identity that... from us. They like, took Gattis. They, they didn't have it. I think to Jeff, your point, when they first got there, they were trying something on the skill position and everything, but they still their identity of the trenches. But yeah, like what they've done on both lines of scrimmage is something that, if you're an Ohio State and Penn State fan, you knew this year that they were different. The last two years, they've yep. just been able to do whatever they want. They yeah. did. And I think, uh, the to your point, Jeff, the cool thing is, like, good for that style of football, good for the Big Ten. And uh, I think, like and, we all said, we're, we're ready for the 12 team. Yeah. And to that point, too, like, if you're one of those teams in the Big Ten outside looking in, like an Ohio State, a Penn State, uh, probably Oregon now, uh, and even Washington, because they're losing a ton of guys over attrition too, to look at that style and be like, especially for for us, Vito, Penn State and Ohio State, to look at Michigan and be like, yeah, we knew they were different, but like we were that close to beating them, both Ohio State and, and Penn State were. Like that's good for the for the conference too and the development. I think it's it's gonna be so much fun next year as well. Yeah. And I, I remember talking with a guy, a guy named John Jansen, played at Michigan. Uh, had a cup of coffee in the NFL, but does local radio in Ann Arbor uh, and used to work for us with uh, at Sirius XM. And, and I used to work with John a lot. And I remember the beginning of this like mini era within the Harbaugh eras. Cause you're right, Vito. Like when he first got there, he was definitely spreading it out. Like he was still trying to build in the trenches. Um, but they did try to go through a few different things with offensive coordinators, like the Gata stuff. Like they, they tried to do a bunch of a few different things and none of it really kind of worked. And I remember the, the start of this, this team it was four, four or five years ago, you know, when they were bringing in McCarthy and they had McNamara and Coram was a freshman and all these guys, they had that Donovan Peoples Jones and, and Nico Collins era at, at Michigan. I remember so distinctly talking to John Jansen and him being like, this is different. Like he, he has cleaned house. He is wow. approaching it completely different. He's building these guys up physically in a way that they weren't doing before. They've invested more money in the strength and conditioning. They've he's completely changed his approach in terms of how to develop the guys into what he ultimately wants on the field, which I think what we saw here is ultimately what he always wanted to do. It's what he wanted to do when he was in San Francisco. It's what he did when he was at Stanford. It was always that mentality. 
but the way of going about it changed. And he built up these offensive linemen from guys who were five stars who were good and, and all guys who were going to, you know, I don't know if Taylor Lewan crossed over with him or not, but like that post-Taylor Lewan era, we had a bunch of good offensive linemen into this modern era where you're like, all right, we are building these dudes into freight trains. We're building these dudes into absolute units. And now, you know, whether it's Hutchinson and Ojabo and the guys we've seen come out in the defensive line over the last couple of years from Michigan, they have speed, they have strength, they have size. And he said it was like night and day. They came into the 20, it was a 2019 season. It was like, it was like a flip had switched. And that was, I think, or not the last year, but the second to last year that they lost, but they were undefeated going into that Ohio state game. And I remember that game It was a snowy day and they got beat to shit by Ohio state. And it was car, uh, not Cardell Jones. It was Dwayne Haskins. I think um, absolutely beat them to shit. And it was the end of the urban Meyer era. And then from then, on it's been like that was the start that was the the championship dvd moment right four years ago when it's like hey we're flipping the switch we're changing how we're developing these guys and it took four years but this is where they are now as national champs so did you hear the uh what i consider the villain origin story for jj this is great if you haven't so no he wanted to go to ohio state and ryan day he was recruiting there. He was, you know, coaching and he's, he um, said, we're not taking a quarterback this year. And then they, uh, they ended up taking Kyle McCord and Mm. he was like, what the, like, what the fuck? You know, like I want to go there. You not only told me you weren't taking anybody, you took someone. He goes to Michigan and my buddy on Ohio from Ohio state last night was Was McCord or was it Quinn Ewers? It could have been Quinn. Yeah, I think it was Quinn Ewers' year. Yeah, it was the year before. Yeah, but either way, he uh, he they they took that quarterback, and then he ended up um, going to Michigan. wasn't going to apparently like, but he was like, I want I hate Ohio State now, <laughs> and like who does again? There's that's like you know some other side stories and stuff there that all involved with it, but it's so good. And the point is that like Ohio State, the, they're just like if Ryan Day, it's a whole thing for firing Ryan Day. Like if he didn't have said this and lied to this guy, whatever, we wouldn't like at least it wouldn't have been Michigan, you know? Yeah, it's just like okay, anybody like, but Michigan, yeah. right? That's that's the mentality. Yeah, Hilarious. I love that. What a, that's a great yeah. If, if you're an Ohio State fan, that's a hell of a villain uh, villain origin story. I love that. Uh, but yeah, so shout out Michigan national champs and uh, start the countdown clock until we get college football again, boys. It'll be here before we know it. We we know it will. It always comes fast. But um, yeah, the an end of a, a great, great season in uh, in college football. Uh, speaking of coaching, though, let's take a gander at the uh, we had three new openings. Um, one that was very much expected. One that was kind of expected, but still kind of a surprise. And then one that seems to be a very, very big shock. So we're going to start with the Mike Vrabel one. Ron Rivera, Arthur Smith, like we knew the Ron Rivera thing was done. I don't think there's too much to dive into with that. Um, like I called him earlier in the year, right? He was Pepto in this transition year from ownership where Washington was never going to be that great. And, you know, they had to have somebody who could just hold down the fort and deal with the day-to-day operations. Ron Rivera can do that. And he did. And now they're going to be moving on to a new head coach. Um, curious with that giant contract they gave Eric Bieniemy last year. If he hangs around, if he's a candidate to be the head coach, I don't know if his audition was all that strong, uh, if we're being honest, but uh, I'll be curious to see how that kind of goes. But the Arthur Smith one, 
again, seemingly kind of expected it to come, but I don't know. Like I was still kind of surprised. Like I was like, Oh, okay. Like I get it. Oh, one AM. They didn't yeah. waste a second. No, no, they had him gone. They had him gone quick. Um, Shout out to Bra- Jameis. Shout out to Jameis for making him look bad and making and causing that whole thing. We're, we're going to get into that. We're going to get into that. <laughs> fucking James. Because yeah, because I I think we have some thoughts. I've, I feel like we're going to have thoughts that maybe butt heads on that too. I'm excited to dive into it. Um, but the Vrabel decision by Tennessee is very weird. Uh, there had been rumblings and some reports, you know, with everyone speculating on Belichick. Could Tennessee trade Mike Vrabel to the New England Patriots to be the head coach? If the Patriots would move on, I don't think uh, I think Vrabel wanted a head coaching opportunity. He got one early on from a struggling franchise and a, a franchise that is prone to making kind of bad decisions. And they ended up kind of falling ass backwards into a really, really good football coach. They were the one CD. They made a couple of different playoff runs. Yeah. Uh, a guy who gets you prepared. I think Kevin Clark said it on, on Twitter today, which I thought was the perfect way to encapsulate it, which is that the best coaching candidate right now to replace Mike Vrabel is Mike Vrabel. And if that's the case, <laughs> yeah. then you probably made a mistake firing him. And and right. that's exactly how it feels. I, I To me, this is... This is a, a very rash and and weird decision. I, I wouldn't be shocked if there was some more that came out. Diana Rossini came out and said, like, and she's as tied into that organization with Vrabel as anybody is in the NFL. And she said, like, look, Vrabel never asked for a trade. He never asked to leave the organization. He told them he was fully committed to them still. Because uh, that's the kind of dude that Vrabes is. Like, Vrabes wouldn't ask for a trade. You know, he still has that old school football meathead guy in him. He's like, look, I committed to you guys. I'm here to win football games. We're going to continue to try to do that. Um, this to me is an indictment on the front office. You know, he made the absolute most that he possibly could have given the shit sandwich that he was given uh, in terms of a, of a roster and an organization. And Derek Henry seemingly kind of saying goodbye to the Tennessee fans. He, as he enters free agency, it all seems very, very odd. And uh, to 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 kind of use Mike Vrabel as the scapegoat, um, I don't know. I mean, look, there's a lot of holes in that team, but I think this is just a massive mistake. And I think universally people agree it's a massive mistake. Uh, and it's not quite like the Andy Reid thing. You know, when Andy left Philly, it was like, all right, look, it's it, it, the time has come. You know, you've been, yeah. <laughs> you know, you've been here for 14 years. It, it's time to move on. It's not like that. I mean, he's he's been there for six years, seven years. Um which granted it is, is pretty long, but you're just, it's not like, you know, you ran its course well, kind of thing. Let's move on to somebody else. It just seems like a really rash and, and dumb decision by the Titans here. And I'll give you another comp, like with the same franchise from the coach they moved on from, which was Jeff Fisher, who was always like eight and eight every year. And it was like, okay, you've worn out your welcome with this mediocrity crap after we've yeah. been really good for, for in the Steve McNair years. Um, <clears throat> And it hasn't been that with with Vrabel. It's been, hey, we're a surprising one seed with 13 wins uh, and, and going to the AFC title game. And since then, it's like, uh, we're good, but we still have Derrick Henry. So, like, we're still going to be good all the time. And so uh, with that on the way out, ostensibly, I think, uh, as he ages, um, I, I think there's a little bit uh, more behind the curtain that we're not seeing from Tennessee. Because there's, you're right, Jeff. There's no reason for this. Like they're still a good team. Um, that that defense last year we talked about was one of the most elite defenses in the NFL. Um, that that barely made the playoffs. And so, I, I don't know. <clears throat> it, it seems 
like an odd decision to me, bit of a quick trigger. Um, but yeah, I, we'll see. Uh, like, you know, I don't, I don't know what's going on in Tennessee. Uh, they, they've seemingly, uh, been able to, to come up with, uh, with answers for, for their franchise and, and figure out ways for, for guys to, to play well in that franchise, but they hit on that head coach when they hired Vrabel and, and it's been good ever since. And I don't know why they're, uh, after one or two down seasons are, are, are trying to, to dissipate that. Yeah. To me, to your point, Jeff, like, I don't think anyone would have gotten a one seed with Ryan Tannehill besides Vrabel that year. Like no one was going to commit to the run as much as he did. I know that Derek Henry. So a lot of people think it's obvious, but you needed a good match there. I just think he's a good coach. Um, Man, like that's a good one that's out there open. Definitely interested to see where he goes. And uh, like, I mean, I think that's one guy that supersedes. Everyone's talking about go get an offensive guy, right? Mostly, but like even the Chargers, even anybody, like Vrabel's just a good coach. So um, I I think wherever he lands next, he's going to be there for six or seven years easily. Yeah. And it's look, it's one of those rare situations where there's more focus on the coach that got fired and more excitement about where he's going to go than who's going to come in and replace him, right? That doesn't happen often. Usually when you fire a head coach, you're like, that dude stinks. He's probably not getting another head coaching opportunity, right? You'll have your your rare examples of like Frank Reich this year where it's like, all right, he had six different quarterbacks in six seasons or whatever it was, or five different quarterbacks in five seasons uh, as the head coach of the, of the Colts. Like maybe we need to give him a chance to build something from the bottom up. That obviously didn't work out. But usually when a coach gets fired, it's because they they're not a good head coach. And you kind of move on from that and you decide, all right, hey, we moved on from this guy. Now who's going to come in and try to redo the whole franchise? This, I'm like, you have a dude. Like, you have a dude who, (laughs) this is his sixth season there, made three playoff uh, appearances in his first four seasons, didn't make the playoffs the last two seasons, but Tannehill gets hurt last year and then you're relying on Malik Willis. And remember, Josh Dobbs came in in what was a de facto playoff game. It's not like he went three and 14 it's not like he went two and 15 right i mean he went eight and nine last year and six and 11 this year and i get it that's a pretty down trajectory but it's ryan Tannehill, and then it's a rookie quarterback how many rookie i mean the fact that cj stroud's in the playoffs they're finished at nine and eight like that's like an anomaly almost yeah in in in, (laughs) in the nfl right it is an anomaly you don't see rookie quarterbacks going out and doing that so to not have the patience for this is crazy to me, the, the biggest indictment of this whole decision comes from what the owner basically came out and said today, which was that they looked into the idea of trading him, but it was basically going to be too much work and they didn't want to wait. So instead of trying to get something back, which like, hey, we can, we're all human. We can all relate on the idea of like, hey, can I do the easy thing that's a bad decision or do I work a little bit harder and the thing that's a little more difficult and it's going to be a much easier decision for me right like that's a high stakes than that though here (laughs) exactly and i i think that is absolute malpractice Mm -hmm. i think it's it's this billionaire culture of these super uber wealthy people who want results now and don't have the patience and we just talked about it with harbaugh in college right like and bobby bowden like coaches are gonna have down years there's a difference and the thing is too is like they had nothing to play for in week 18, absolutely nothing. And what they went out and did on Sunday, beating the shit out of the Jags with nothing on the line, tells you a few things. It tells you that the team loves Mike Vrabel, all right? It tells you that Mike Vrabel always has his team prepared and tells you that Mike Vrabel knows how to get the most 
out of a unit that is one of the least talented rosters in the NFL. And they still won six games, right? Like, hey man, if, I, if, if you're telling me I can go get that guy, a guy who will literally cut off his dong to win a Super Bowl, like I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, and you hear it, you hear it with the bus and with the boys guys, right? You know, Will Compton and Taylor Lewan. You hear it in the way that they talk about a guy like Mike Vrabel and how much they love that dude. And everyone on this team loves Mike Vrabel. And I I to me, it's it's such a weird, weird, weird decision. And it's another incompetent franchise run by a billionaire. I mean, she even said she's like. In her explanation, she said the difference between playing or trading coaches and players is that the the coach has to agree to wherever he's being traded to in order for the trade to go through. What? what why didn't you have a conversation with him about it? Why did? Like, what? What is the harm of going through that process? In her mind, and this is what she said, is that it puts them three weeks behind in finding the next head coach. Which, look, okay, I understand, but right now, there's only what four teams that you're competing against. You know, there's there's plenty of coaches out there. So if you are dead set, no matter what, on moving on from Mike Vrabel, which, again, doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to begin with. Why would you not, like, put in the effort to see if you can get because I, I mean, what's Mike Vrabel going for a first round pick, second round pick? Probably, I mean, multiple, probably, probably multiple seconds or at least a first and a fourth, you know, like. I don't, even, just, I don't think at first, but I guess the point is too, you're like, it's just dead money now. Like it's not his salary. Let's see. Is nine and a half million dollars. Wow. Um, a year. And I'm just trying to find out how much they owe him. Cause like they've fired him. So they have to pay him. Well, to your point. And well but there's the offsetting stuff. So if he gets another job, that money that they owe him doesn't count towards it's, it's a whole, like there's an offset thing in the contracts. Yeah, that's, that's why they go to like TV. Yeah. For yeah. The year. Like, you know, I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if Rabes takes a year. He deserves it. I, I to me, I, I can't, I, I think he would be fast. Doesn't seem like the TV, TV type. Yeah. He'd be, he'd no, be he, like would, when, he would go be like, if Bill stays, he might go be a consultant and like come in and out of the Patriots or like, yeah, that would be wild. Um, he would be like Roy Kent on Ted Lasso when Roy Kent I, does TV. I wonder if Ohio State's reaching out to him. I mean, I, I, I don't. I don't think Vrabes would do the recruiting stuff do that you need to do. I yeah. bet you they're asking though. They're they're having a conversation. They're they're mulling it over. You know. Uh, but yeah, I just this is such a an odd I, odd decision to and make. For, and for the for the Titans too, like all of a sudden, hey, look. Will Levis played and he played really well this year. We've got a quarterback of the future. Let's fire our head coach and then like disrupt all of that like uh, synergy that we had that going forward. Like now it's that we're going to be like, oh, is this head coach and Will Levis going to be the uh, the option? Uh, even if Derek, whether or not Derek Henry is or is not there. Um, like I, it's just like so now you've wasted capital and are trying to to figure out if the head coach is the right fit. And if the quarterback is right fit for the head coach that you already had and now fired, like, I don't understand the the impetus. You know what I yeah. mean? I mean, look, he finishes 54 and 45, nine games above 500, two and three in the postseason, led the Titans to an AFC championship game in 2019. Um, it's just, it, it all, it all seems very odd to me. And it seems like a lot of really weird choices. I They're starting fresh, building a new stadium too. They're building like right. That's that's what's going on right now down there. Yeah. So they're Which they're they, ripping the whole thing apart. But I look at it and I'm like, and we'll talk about it. Like to me, 
part of the reason the conversation about Nick Sirianni is going on with the Eagles is because you can see it on the field, right? You can see the frustration in the players. You can see how much they're over this bullshit, you know, with all, with, with, with the way that this coaching staff has done such a poor job of getting them ready for football games and their inability to change uh, and grow and adapt as the season has gone on. Some of which has been going on for multiple years and, Rabel's the antithesis of that, right? Like, there is no conversation about like, wow, this team looks like they quit because NFL players don't quit, right? Like, they they, they just not a thing that NFL players do. But when you see what fans perceive as quitting, it's usually an indictment on the head coach and the coaching staff and their like, what they're trying to get done and 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 how little adjustments and and little creativity that they have, like. Rabel gives every ounce of himself into every single minute as the head coach and. I'd say what 85% of the league, give or take would probably switch out their head coach for Mike Vrabel. Uh, to me, I just, I, I think this is such a massive, massive mistake and somebody's going to get a really, really good head coach. That's going to help build their franchise for the next 10 years because the Titans decided to fire them inexplicably, you know, after, after a six and 11 season. Um, yeah, it's weird. It's it's a very, very weird, weird move. But hey, is what it is. Uh, so yeah, so now we have the Chargers as an opening. We have the Commanders. We have the Raiders. We have the Falcons. And now we have the Titans. So uh, five jobs that are open across the NFL. Potentially, I mean, four, I don't, we don't, the Antonio Pierce stuff is interesting. It seems like there's a lot of buzz that, you know, fans want him back. Um but I don't know. It, some of Mark Davis's comments make me feel like he may not end up get, giving that job to Antonio Pierce, which would be a wild move. Um, at least not before like full prof, you know, full due process and everything of going through that, all the steps you need to. Um, it'll be interesting, man. It'll be interesting. I'm very curious to see what the uh, coaching carousel looks like. And I'm sure we'll have some more news as, uh, as time moves on and, there's been some reports about the Eagles and about the Cowboys with Mike McCarthy and with Nick Sirianni. So who knows? A playoff team might fire a head coach, right? We've we've seen that before. His predecessor, uh, was it Mike? Oh, what was his name? Oh, that's Which good. one, Dallas? No, the uh, Rabel's predecessor. It was a skinny, oh, skinny, Munch? skinny Munch. Munch yeah, Shack? yeah, might have like Munchkin, uh... Munchin. Munchak, he's an old lineman from Penn State, actually. Really? Yeah. Doesn't look it. Yeah, he was an old lineman. Yep. Interesting. Yeah, he was the uh, coach before. Yeah, before Vrabel. Yeah. Um, they want to. They were in the playoffs when they fired him. So you know, we've seen it happen in the NFL before. So we'll uh, we'll keep an eye on all that as we uh, as we continue. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll uh, we'll dive into some of the stuff from this past weekend. And uh, we'll we'll take a, a quick look ahead to our first round of the playoffs. All right, time to recap a little bit of Week 18. We're going to touch on the playoff teams here and some of the uh, interesting notes that we've had throughout the you know this final week with uh, the futures of some people, some coaches, some players, uh, and a couple of collapses as well. So uh, before we do that, though, credit where credit is due. After a really good week on our locks, Scotty finishing three and zero, I finished two and one this week, and Vito, our champ for our regular season locks, Vito wins it by a half point after a two and one week. Vito finishes the season twenty nine twenty and five 
with his locks. I finished 21, 29, 21, and four. And Scotty, after a perfect three and a week, gets right back in there as well. 28, 24, and two. So as a whole, we did pretty damn good on, on our locks uh, this season. So, so credit to us. Uh, overall, uh, Scotty or Vito, you actually finished barely below 500. Um, 99, 101, and 11. If only if you had stuck with the Raiders. Yeah, would have been... I said, I said, if this is the reason I'm not 500, then so be it. So be it. Right. I knew I even played out the Raiders are going to win. I just had to pick them. What are you going to hey, do? You know, hey, you, and, you it's because you're a ride or die guy, man. You, you and wrote... I will say one thing on the locks real quick as a champion. I have to I have to just make one statement. It's because I love ties and the extra tie got me the championship. I'm going to have to bust out the tie bottle. Maybe you have a sip. Well, um, yeah, we didn't have any ties this ties. year. So no ties. This you didn't year. get one in the no. regular season. Yeah. So the and push is. Yeah. That's it. So um, we are looking ahead. Last time we didn't have a tie was the 2020 season. So yeah, um, maybe it was 21, but there's one year recently. But besides that, there's been one every year since 16. Yeah, it's been it's been a while. It's been a while since we haven't had any ties. So to another year gone, which is a shame. And to be honest, we weren't even that close. There was a couple that I felt like, oh, maybe, and then something big would happen, an interception, whatever would happen, and it would call it. I think the closest we got was like four minutes left in a game. I think it was a few weeks ago that was that was pretty close. But uh, lots lots of ties uh, in terms of the spread this year, 15 pushes overall in the season. Um, but Vito, you finished 99-101 and 11. Scotty, you finished 124-102 and 14. And I finished at 142, 114, and 15. So I take the overall season. I picked every game this year. Came out at about 55, 56% win rate, which is pretty good. I had a good year uh, with my pick. So uh, you take that and you say thank you because you never know. And uh, again, as a whole, as a pod, we were averaged out anyway. We were above 500. And uh, Vito, you were, you were right there at the end. Uh, and then the other thing I want to do too, is we talked about it last week, but to officially, uh, look at how we did overall with our playoff predictions. Uh, we all had Philly as the one seed Philly ends up as the five seed. So we all get that one correct. Meaning that they had them in the playoffs, uh, San Francisco for Scotty is the two seed Vito had San Francisco as the two seed. I had Detroit as the two seed. Uh, obviously San Francisco is the one seed Detroit finishes as the three seed. Yeah, three, we are. <laughs> three seed. Scotty had Minnesota, so that's the first miss. Uh, Vito, Vito had Tampa Bay. Vito, credit yeah, kudos to you, to you, bud. You were from day one saying Tampa's going to win the very beginning division. of the season. Don't worry I, about it. I called you, know? you crazy, man. I got to eat. I got to eat shit. Uh, now they weren't as convincing <laughs> as no. uh, as, no, as no, you no. thought. I, I don't think they're going to win this weekend, even. But they won the division. It wasn't the worst. Got a home game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but hey, they uh and you have them as a three seed, they finished as the four seed. I was all right. Uh Scotty and I both had Atlanta finishing as the four seed. Uh, and I had San Francisco as the three seed. Vito, you Detroit as the four seed. So uh so far, the only person that got uh all, every team right so far is Vito. Uh you guys both had Dallas as the five seed. I had Seattle, so I'm wrong on there. And then, uh, Scotty, you had Seattle as the six seed. Vito, you had Minnesota. I had the Giants, so I was wrong there. I was just uh, thinking. I hope, yeah, you were way wrong. But I was just thinking upstairs before uh, before we started recording. I was like, I can't remember if I put Seattle in or not because if I didn't, 
I am going to run track laps around this entire podcast claiming how right I was about the stupid Seahawks. No, you had Seattle in there. We all had Seattle in there. Uh, and nine, Vito, I think I had him, though. But all of us were wrong with our six seeds. And then uh, our seven seed, Scotty, you had Detroit. Vito had Seattle. And I had the Cowboys. So uh, as a whole, we did pretty good. I think there are six new teams in the playoffs this year. On average, it's usually about seven every year. Bill Simmons did that math once, and ever since then, it's like every year there's about seven new teams in the playoffs that weren't in it the year before. So always keep that in mind with our predictions. But yeah, so we were we did pretty well at the NFC. AFC, uh, I had Baltimore as the one seed. Vito had Buffalo. Scotty had Kansas City. Uh, Scotty had Buffalo as the two seed, so he gets that one. Me and Vito both had Kansas City as the two seed. Uh, Scotty had Baltimore the three seed. Vito and I, Vito had Baltimore. I had Buffalo. We all had Jacksonville as the four seed, so we're all wrong on that one. Jeez, man. Oh, yeah, that, that was a tough one. Scotty, you had Cincinnati as the five seed. I also had Cincinnati as the five seed. Vito had the Jets as the five seed. This was pre Joe Burrow getting injured. <laughs> yes, of course. Uh, Scotty, you had Denver as the six seed, and I Vito, could not get had... anything with Denver right, Vito. I'm sorry. Yeah. Not this entire season. It's all good. I officially went 0 right 17 either. on Broncos picks. <laughs> uh, Vito, you had Cincy as the six seed. I had Miami, so I nice. think I hit. I think I hit that one on the head. Yeah, and then uh, the seven seed, Scotty pulling out Cleveland, and then Vito, you had Denver as the seven seed, and I had Pittsburgh. So I got and a boy. <laughs> I got one six and seven right with my predictions. Uh, and yeah, we'll see how the- I think I got all the division leaders, but Jacksonville, I had all the division winners, right? But those, uh, yeah, dang. yes, you did in both. Damn in both that CJ Stroud. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. None of us were, uh, were expecting that. We thought that division would be easy. It was anything, but, uh, so that's kind of how we stacked up now as we, as we've hit the end of the regular season. Uh, and let's talk about how we got there. We'll go into the games from this weekend. Steelers beat the Ravens 17 to 10. A lot of backups. The biggest story out of this game, TJ Watt uh, gets his 19th sack, 18th and 19th sack in this game, leads the NFL in sacks in the regular season. He is questionable to play next week. Um, that was nasty. Did you see yeah. that? They replayed it four times, and I was like, please stop showing it on the screen. It's a miracle that nothing – he didn't tear anything. Yeah, you know? well, it's, that's it's how a, strong he is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, look, that's a huge loss. I would say, look, if, if – Pittsburgh was fully healthy with TJ Watt. Maybe they get into one of those games where Josh Allen's throwing a million picks. Probably not going to happen. We'll monitor the situation with TJ Watt. If he comes back, then obviously that that makes them a little bit more live. Uh, the Steelers, another winning season under Mike Tomlin, 10-7, and seven, and riding Mason Rudolph into the uh, postseason there for the Steelers. Impressive, impressive run for them. An impressive run for the AFC North. All four teams finishing over 500 this year. Uh, I do. It's very difficult to do. The AFC North, I think everyone kind of thought that that would be the best division in football, or at least one of them. They proved right this year, which seldom happens. Uh, But the Steelers punched their ticket, and uh, they're going to be dancing this weekend against the Buffalo Bills. Uh, Saturday night, we had a really, really fun game. Texans and Colts, the winner, uh, putting themselves in a very good chance, uh, or a very good spot if something were to happen with Jacksonville and of course, Jacksonville loses that game to Tennessee. So the Texans open up the game, 75 yard touchdown pass to Nico Collins. That's Uh, your dude. It is. And it's a look, it's important to remember here with this Texans team, right? 
they're missing a bunch of guys, both offensively and defensively. Uh, they are also very, very young. It's not just CJ Stroud. It's the majority of their defense is really young and developing. And they got something cooking, man. A 10 and seven season with a new head coach and a rookie quarterback as they punch their ticket into the playoffs. That is that is nothing to scoff at, man. That's an impressive run here for the Houston Texans. Shout out to them. And same thing with the Colts. I mean, look, the Colts lose this game. It's tough. It felt like they had a chance there. Uh, if Ty was a Ty Goodson, you know, holds on to that ball. Um, both Shane Steichen and D'Amico Ryan deserve a ton of credit. They did a really, really good job in their first years. Hundred percent. Yeah that 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 play was weird at, at the end, like. Jonathan Taylor had how many 180 yards on the ground. We're like fourth and one. We're not going to give it to him. Like, of course you want to draw eyes, but like the guy hadn't been in the game all, all game. Um, so, and, and you know, better throw by Gardner, maybe it hits. Um, but, but you know, you got to catch that ball uh, in the end uh, for the Colts. I, I just like, I, I want to give, uh, we've been shouting out the, the Texans all season long for how well they've played. And I think one of the the cool things is is yeah they are all young, um, and C.J. Stroud was on uh, I think he was on McAfee's show earlier this week I think it was yesterday and he was talking about um, you know the the how the core of the team is just those guys, uh, those young guys that that they've drafted and, and built the team on not around on, um, and, and uh, he C.J. was like I, I I'd go and ask the vets like. Yo, what's what? What should I expect? What's the atmosphere like in these playoff scenarios? And they're like, yeah, we don't really know, because um, they haven't been there. So they're all like in the same boat, right? Um, and and they're all friends and galvanizing around that. And that I think is more powerful because they're all playing for each other at this point, right? Um, and and, and that's a team like if I were in the uh, an AFC fan in the playoffs, I do not want to play the Houston Texans, not one bit. Um, I love you don't know what you don't know, right? Like there's almost yeah. like a freedom to go in with like low expectations in addition mm-hmm. to being like, they, we don't really know what this whole playoff exactly. thing is all about. And they got a home you know? game. And they got yeah. a home game on top of it. Uh, man, yeah, I they, they're going to be nasty for, for a long time. I'm glad to see them all the way back. I love what CJ Stroud's doing, and, uh, and I hope they keep balling out. I'm really rooting for them. Same here. Same here. Vito, anything to add? Not really. You guys hit all the main points. I I, I do want to say that uh, that defense and and that moment that D'Amico Ryan's I think took by himself. Right, they were showing that a bunch this weekend, and just mad props to that guy. And I think one of the cool interviews I think in that interview Scott with McAfee it was just like you need yeah you need a guy who's also just loves the team. Like you want someone that love like he went back there because he wanted to coach there and he loves that place and loves the you know the whole everything that comes with that franchise and that whole town. Yeah. So good for him for for having that success right away. And I think a lot of people like in Michigan having the success that they had, right? Like, I think it's kind of a look of bringing the people. Dan Campbell was a lion at one point, like bring these guys back and, and let the players who know how to get it done coach. And it seems to be a winning formula. If you look at those yeah. two examples, I love to make Yeah. Yeah. It's hard not to root for them. It's hard not to root for that team. Um, but yeah, I, I, it stinks because like I do like that Cleveland team too. And and I was kind of hoping there'd be a way where maybe they wouldn't match up. I think it was always going to be inevitable if the if the Texans made the playoffs. That's, that that's gonna be a ball game. <laughs> yeah, that's gonna be fun. You got that one Saturday at 4 30 p.m. to kick off the uh kick off the weekend uh in terms of our 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 playoff schedule, right? That should be the yeah, everything else is Sunday or Monday. So 
4.30 p.m., Browns-Texans on NBC. Uh, should be a very fun game. Uh, all right, those are the Saturday games. Let's dive into the Sunday games. Browns and Bengals. Bengals take care of business. They had nothing to play for. Browns had all backups in. Biggest story from this game was uh, shout-out to Jake Browning because Jake Browning's wife-slash-girlfriend wearing that all-white jumpsuit was pretty awesome. So rock on for her. Uh, and good for Jake Browning. Uh, Vikings-Lions. Lions win that game 30-20. to 20. An opportunity for them to, like, hey, you know, they wanted to play all their starters. It seemed like a very Dan Campbell thing to do. Come out and you play all your guys. Now they get a couple of injuries. Brian Branch is a little banged up. Uh, they, do get, they did get, well, I was going to say so, they did get C.J. Gardner-Johnson back. But the biggest thing is, yeah, losing Sam Laporta, who, I mean, was playing like the best tight end in football, uh, especially down the stretch here. Similar situation to T.J. Watt. Uh, it's, it looked like a something sprained in his knee. Lucky that nothing got tore. Um, but the Lions, no Sam Laporta, or at least he's questionable for this game. Um, not to say that you, I mean, look, because there was a chance they could have gotten the two seed, right? If, if, A, if they just, if they beat Dallas and that dumb ref situation doesn't happen, then the Lions are going to end up being your two seed no matter what. But in this case, the Lions right there, they want to come out. They have a chance at the two seed. If Dallas somehow loses to Washington, that doesn't happen. It feels like, all right, damn, you know, we probably didn't need to play all of our guys. But that's just not how, you know, Dan Campbell rolls. He was going to come out and they wanted to prove like, hey, we are a really, really good football team. We want to stay in rhythm going into the playoffs. And now one of your best offensive weapons is uh, is a little banged up. So uh, big loss for them if he can't play this weekend. But I still think the Lions are in pretty good shape as they uh, will get ready to welcome Matt Stafford in next week. Yeah, that I mean, that script was too good. Right, and we'll talk about the Niners game in a, in, a, in a minute here, but that script was too good for for the NFL not to have Matt Stafford going into Ford Field to play the the Detroit Lions in a playoff game. I mean, you can't write it any better, and maybe they did, but you know, you can't write it any better than that. So, uh, uh, yeah, we'll see, man. Uh, the The one thing I took from this game was even without Sam Laporta, Jared Goff looked on. And when he's on, that team can coast. Um, so we'll see. I, you know, this Rams defense presents a bit of more of a challenge, I think, especially in the postseason with everyone know. relatively healthy on that side. Um, but Jer- when Jared Goff is cooking, it's it's hard to beat that team. Yeah, and we'll get into it when we preview the games later on the week. But I I do look at you know Jared Goff and this offense, and I think they're going to be able to put up thirty points against most teams in the NFL. I do think they're that good offensively. I think for them, it's like, hey, like Justin Jefferson had 193 yards in this game, I think, 192 yards in this game. Addison By the way, was close to 100. Yeah. yeah and, and I sent this stat to you guys, but Justin Jefferson completing only eight games this year and playing in, I think, nine or 10 uh, and gets over a thousand yards is just fucking insane. It's, it's actually That's receiver in the NFL. Like, and it's not like he needed 192 or 185 to get it. He only needed like a little over 100 yards. He was um, 75, I think he was 1,075 yards afterwards. So he just needed like a a good day, 115 yards, whatever is a great day. But for Justin Jefferson standards, it's like, yeah, that's just kind of like a normal day for him. He's insane. He's he's an absolute fucking freak. 
Um, so to have him back next year, fully healthy, hopefully with a, either a healthy Kirk cousins or, you know, perhaps a, a new quarterback there in Minnesota should be fun. Um, I'm just worried about this Lions defense going up against the Rams offense. That secondary is going to have a lot of trouble stopping Puka, stopping Cooper Cup. And I mean, Kyron Williams right now is one of the top, probably three best running backs in the postseason. Uh, he ended up, Kyron Williams finished second in rushing yards on this season. Crazy. And he missed like four games. Yeah. Yeah. So he had a great year, very underrated to your point. There's a lot of like, even Puka, it's funny because if, I mean, everyone talked about him, obviously, but yeah, like, he had more yards than Justin Jefferson did his rookie. We love Justin Jefferson, yeah, his rookie. He broke he broke the record, man. I mean, yeah. Now it granted it was 17 games versus 16 games and all that. But still, like, he would have had but, it. Like he, yeah, he killed it. And yeah. like just great for him. Uh, exciting to, to for that team. But yeah, this uh um you know, this Vikings team with Justin Jefferson, they're gonna be looking for something new next year. And the Lions, to your point. My takeaway from this game is they ran the ball well, and this is about the time when they need to, but they have to figure out something like they got to be able to get to the passer quicker. They didn't like they had a couple sacks in that game. I know Aiden Hutchinson did for sure, but like, yeah, they they also didn't pressure the quarterback as much as they number one could have or should have. Like they got to find a way to get even more pressure is what I'm trying to say in the playoffs, especially that's always really, really hard for good defensive teams. So, um, We'll see what happens there. Yeah, Aiden Hutchinson finishing the year with 11 and a half sacks. Uh, pretty good year. Pretty good second year for for Aiden Hutchinson. Again, very disruptive. He's not he's not TJ Watt or JJ. He's not quite at that level yet. Could maybe one day get there. But uh, seeing the growth from him and Trayvon Walker, who actually I think finished with more sacks on the season than uh, I think he finished with 12 on the year. So uh, Trayvon Walker really turned it on those last five or six games, which is about the only Good thing you can say about the Jacksonville Jaguars who we're talking about next is they go down to the Tennessee Titans and uh, Mike Vrabel's now old team. Really, really just bad showing, man. I mean, just what an un, un, unbelievable collapse. And, and Vita, you were saying in the break, you know, this Lions team was eight and three in the number one seed in the AFC. The Eagles are 10 and one in the number one seed, seed in the NFC at one point earlier this year and how both of those teams have just fallen apart completely at the seams over the last, you know, six, seven weeks of the year. It's a good reminder that this happens often in football. The first half of the year, you have teams that are look really, really good who oftentimes, whether it's because of the schedule they played or, you know, then injuries happen or, or whatever, they look really, really good. And very few times is the team that look amazing week five, six, seven, eight end up being, the top teams at the end of the season. And the the Jags are another example of that eight and three to then finish one and five. The Eagles, like I said, 10 and one finish one and five, uh, two massive collapses, but the Jags here, they collapse all the way to missing the postseason. Uh, I think they had one win since Thanksgiving, which is just absolutely brutal. And uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know where you go from here. Uh, you know, I, I'm trying not to put it too much on Trevor Lawrence, though he was bad in this game. He's dealing with foot issues, ankle issues, knee issues, shoulder issues. The dude, he's had concussions. I mean, the dude has just gotten the shit kicked out of him this year. And uh, they definitely need to invest in offensive line moving forward because I, I don't know how much longer, you know, Trevor Lawrence is going to still be that super high upside guy when he's just getting his ass kicked. You know, this is year number three. And we've seen the ceiling with Trevor Lawrence. We've seen the top end stuff with him. 
We just haven't seen it lately. Yeah, and to your point, it was it looked bad, and that's the result of again a lot of different people's play, not just his. Um, Absolutely, this is not an acceptable situation moving forward as a Jags fan because you know what it what it looks like when it works, and I think that's got to be really frustrating as a fan going from like oh finally to like literally what happens to the Jags like they this stuff happens and it's brutal. So um, shout out Jags fans. We're thinking of you guys. Uh, that's, that's just a heartache, right? Going all yeah. the way out of the playoffs. So I don't know, man, they're going to have to figure something out there. I mean, you gotta, you gotta think they're, they're going to run it back at least one more year with these guys. And like, as I said, I was thinking is like, is Doug Peterson a name that would pop up, but like, there's no, I, I don't think you do. I think you just let this team go back. I'm sure there's some injury stuff that everyone knew about in the building that we don't. And they're all, you know what I mean? Like just let them, let them do one more year at least. Yeah. I mean, this is back to back years where like week 18 meant something right last year. They needed, they needed week 18 to make the playoffs. They had that comeback against the chargers. And that's kind of what we think over the Jags in 2022, 2023, you know, all right, this is it. This is the full picture, right? They're, they're there. It's year three for Trevor Lawrence. I do still kind of hold that for, I don't hold that first year against uh, Trevor Lawrence. I kind of keep that in a separate thing with everything with urban Meyer, but at some point, like you do need to start seeing some of the production. And I, again, I'm giving Trevor Lawrence a benefit of the doubt because the dude, his entire life, all he did was win and everything he's done since being in Jacksonville is just being the upstanding centerpiece. And he's put on way more pressure and, and has been forced to take on way more shit in that role than I think most people expect out of a rookie quarterback to do and for the most part i think he's excelled this year he was playing tough gritty football it feels like it's a haircut year like he's going to come back next year and the long blonde hair is going to be gone you know like it's going to be like oh can't trevor, no, trevor lawrence can't is, do that trevor lawrence is serious now he cut his hair no, you know no like we, it's an identity you can't do that but that's what that was the whole bit with like quinn ewers this year it was like oh yeah. quinn ewers cut the mullet it's a different Quinn Ewers, man. He's, Doesn't matter. He's no. locked in. It's totally it's not yeah. the hair. I'm I'm a, I'm a superstitious person by nature. That's part of that's being Italian, but like none of that that doesn't matter. Don't cut your hair, Trevor Lawrence. Looks good. Don't do it. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't think you can move on from Doug Peterson, but there are some stats out there, man. You know, you take away that 2017 season, the Eagles win the Super Bowl, and you add up, and he's a below 500 head coach. You know, and and I, again, yeah, I don't know. Super Bowl. That's it, but he's also won a Super Bowl, right? <laughs> right. So it's... yeah, it's. But no, but you're right. It's it's you can you can make both sides of it, and that's why it was tough when when you have a collapse like that. It's hard not to look all at the negatives as humans. That's what we do, and so like I'm sure the ownership is in the same same thinking in the GM. So we'll see. We'll see what happens down there. But um, you know, it, it just it's a bummer for the, the Jaguars because. Once you're on that trajectory and then you fall down, it's just it gets harder and harder every time to make the playoffs. But to me, that's a sign of a really good culture and a really good coaching staff. Like that to me is like the same conversation we're going to have about the Eagles here in a little bit. It's Mm -hmm. it's not just that you had to collapse. It's what it looked like. Right. You know, it's how it's how it happened. Right. And and I saw somebody tweet. It's like if you look at the Eagles season where they started off one and six and then finished the year ten and one, we'd be talking about it totally different and be like, yeah, we would, but the storyline and the the story arc of the season would also be completely different. And the way that you exactly. respond to adversity matters. And what we've seen from the Jags and the Eagles this year is when they got hit with the adversity, 
they really, really started to slide. I mean, think thinking about this, where like Trevor Lawrence had Trevor Lawrence hasn't won a game in two months. You know, like that's crazy. That's a, that's a yeah. long time because the one game they did win was with CJ Beathard. So, yeah, and, and from a, a personnel spot. standpoint, like to have a guy who's top three in sacks in Josh Allen, yeah, the uh, defensive end, top three in sacks, he's going to finish. Uh, and then Trayvon, Trevor yeah, Lawrence being banged up for. Uh, and, well, yeah, that too. That he's and that has a That's that's uh, that's starting to hit. Yeah, right. Two years on, which I think you can accept. Um, but then Trevor Lawrence being banged up, like you can't say we have that on defense. And yeah, Trevor Lawrence got banged up, missed a couple of games, but like with what we should be as division winners last year, like it's not computing, right? Yeah. Like it doesn't make sense. I think the one thing about the Jags, and we'll move on here after this, but the one thing I would add to is I think we kind of overrated their personnel and their the talent on that roster a little bit. Like we all we all had in our mind's eye, like, oh, they got Calvin Ridley. That's gonna be such a massive pickup. There were moments that Calvin Ridley flashed, but he clearly well, did, wasn't yeah. there, he clearly wasn't the same dude that we saw in Atlanta. Like he he just wasn't that same guy that never really got on the same page. He, he very Etienne, well might be though. I he, I, he I don't think be. that they connected. As well as they should have this year. Yeah, and maybe, well maybe that's something that builds into next year for sure. But like Travis Etienne had the second most touches in the NFL behind Christian McCaffrey this year. Like Tra- Travis Etienne was great, and they were using him a lot because he was one of the few really reliable guys. That offensive line, not particularly great. And then on the defensive side of the ball, it's like, yeah, you got Josh Allen, and yeah, Trayvon Walker started to develop as the year went on. You know, I think I think we like Devin White. And we like a couple of pieces that are younger there in, in Jacksonville. But that secondary is bad. The safety room is bad. The linebacking room outside of De- or Devin Lloyd's rather is 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 not that great. And even Devin yeah. Lloyd was a little bit disappointed this another, year. So yes, I think yeah. I think we kind of overrated their talent a little bit in terms of like what they actually have on the roster because they were a young team that was growing. And so we all kind of assumed that okay, they added Calvin Ridley and Walker Little stepping up on the offensive line, and we got some pieces here. They're all going to collectively take this next step forward. And that it's not a linear thing like that across an NFL team. Guys grow and and you know grow or, or decline at, at their own individual paces, right? And we all kind of thought, okay, they're all going to get a little bit better this year. And there were times it looked like it, but the offense was dysfunctional, you know, when Vito and I had that fight earlier in the year, you know, we, we had that conversation and, and there was dysfunction in that offense. And ultimately it, it kind of got exposed in the second half. So that'll be a really interesting one to follow. Again, they finish over 500 in consecutive years. I think if you told the Jaguars fans that after the urban Meyer era, they'd be ecstatic. You know, I think if we talked sure. to, if we talked one to playoff Nick, win, even with one playoff win in two weeks. Yeah. In two yeah, years, yeah. Two years. You're above 500 in both years, and you have a playoff win under your belt. Like, I think every Jaguars fan would have signed up for that at the end of the Urban Meyer era. So there's still plenty of reasons to be optimistic, but the way that the season ended, similar to the Eagles, totally understand the pessimism around it as well. Uh, Jets-Patriots, what could be the last time we see Bill Belichick on the sideline. Um, Have not heard anything concrete yet, which I think – bodes well i think every day we don't really hear much now he did his postseason press conference um he said he was open to taking a step back in the front office uh the more i think about it the more i feel like in every day that goes by i think the odds get better and better that he returns as the head coach and that they bring in somebody else to run the the front office because i think ultimately that's what this team needs um but then again like i was listening to an interview with damian woody earlier today 
who made a good point, which is like, do you think Bill Belichick wants to take orders and be told no and not have the final decision to some, you know, 40 something GM whiz kid who went to Harvard, who has everything figured out? Probably three years. Probably (laughs) not. But also who else, like what team is going to give the full control of their organization to Bill Belichick at this point? given the track record that we've seen over the last five years post Brady and the track records he's had just outside of Brady in general, the dude can coach his ass off, but I think he needs to be in a situation where he's not the front office. He's the coach. And I think he can still coach ball as well as anybody in the NFL. But this, if this is how it ends with his time in new England, this is a, this is a bummer of a way to go out. If you're a new England fan. Yeah. Um, What if, just saying, mm-hmm. what if you flip the whole thing? What if you let him go only GM full time and you bring Vrabel as your head coach? Like I, because I think there's a, a something to be said of like doing both jobs is difficult. You've been good at GM. You hit on defensive players forever and like for two decades and just got too much. Maybe just focus on that, and then you're not in such a grind every day, and you're still over everything. You're just the GM, right? But you know him. He's gonna. He loves to be a coach. He's going to be yeah. in the details. I don't yeah. think it would ever happen. I I'm just looking the for other any thing way too, for that to work out. That would be, cool. be fun, right? That'd be a really <laughs> yeah. or like he steps down as the defensive coordinator and Vrabel comes in as the head coach or something. Um, which again, that would never happen. The problem is cool is that Ooh, Bill Belichick, the GM, has been really bad for a decade. Like a de- it's been ten years of well, Belichick like being draft picks. Yes, well, that's and front office. I mean, or free agency too. I mean, what was it two years ago? They I mean, spent he got the chewed mo- on. <laughs> but 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 again, I'm saying two years ago they spent the most amount of money that any team has ever spent in free and agency. Tight ends, and it was Hunter Henry yeah. and uh, Johnny Smith, Smith, yeah, and and Nelson Aguilar, and like just the war. Uh, it was the Eagles cornerback had the green hair. Why am I blanking on his name? Um, not important, but like. As a GM, he's been terrible. The drafts have been terrible. You know, like I, the Mac Jones pick might be the best draft pick that he's had in the last like 10, 15. No, Christian Barmore is probably the best pick yeah. he's had in the last like 10 years. But again, that's <laughs> it. Gonzalez. Couple yeah, of I, mean, look, I, I, know, I think there's been some defensive guy. I would say that he's he's definitely but his hit rate defensive picks. I'll put it this yeah, way. It's not great, but I think it's I think it's I'll just say this. I don't think it's as terrible as saying that like like, yes, if he was a GM, you'd fire him. But he's, yes. since he's a head coach GM, this is where the problem comes in, right? And like because it's not coming together on either side right now, it, it's just one of those things where like he's just the Hall of Fame coach and he's done it so well. If listen, if I'm the Chargers, I'm saying here are the keys to the kingdom. Please take over. Please get us out of whatever the hell we're in. That's all I'm saying. I think there's I think there will be one or two owners that are like, I don't know what we have to do, but this guy does. And even if it doesn't look great, it'll look better than what we have. And I think that he'll get that opportunity somewhere. And I do think New England ends up moving on, although I kind of would like to see him stick around and st- see this out. Yeah, yeah especially I'm- with the top three pick. <laughs> and that's the thing, too, is like you have a huge draft coming up. So if you're going to stick with Belichick, who's 71 years old, are you are you going to give him the keys to develop? Like, I get it with Justin Herbert. It's like, we know Justin Herbert's awesome, Right. So we're going to also I just popped up my mind. Totally forgot the Panthers also fired Frank Reich. So that's another head coaching off. Because uh, uh, in my head, I was just going through. I was like, that. oh, Bryce Young. And I was like, oh, wait, shit. Forgot to mention the Panthers. <laughs> don't want that. Yeah. No. Um, but like with Herbert, it's like, you know, he's good, right? Like he's he's in his prime now. 
you don't need to develop him. You need someone to kind of go in there and plug in place, plug and play guys. They're in some cap issues too, which I think could be a little bit tougher. And that that's the one thing that I think New England has lacked, where a lot of the rest of the league has surpassed the way that Belichick runs as a GM, which is like think about the stuff that Howie Roseman does with the cap manipulations, right? Like there are two guys who are like Howie's two right hand guys who their entire job is just to focus on cap issues and contracts. That's the only thing they do. They don't scout. They don't put input in on players. It is just how to adjust the cap and just contract adjustments and playing that way. Like two full-time guys who are probably making six figures who their entire job is just knowing how to manipulate the cap. I don't think the Patriots have a single guy like that. Like, you know what I mean? Like I have a hard time seeing Belichick in the room thinking about all these provisions and these little ways you can manipulate contracts to get under the cap. Yeah. In order to field the most competitive team possible. Whereas teams like Kansas city and San Francisco and Philadelphia who have all this talent on their roster have been able to do that because they're at that point. And I think Belichick's still living in the era, you know, 15 years ago when he could move off of guys early because he could find someone else coming in. I just, I would not want him as a GM moving forward. I would want him as a coach. And if there's a way that he can kind of swallow the pride to do that, then I think you hold on to him. But it's going to be fascinating to see how that all ultimately plays out. And if it's over, what a run, man. It's the greatest run in the history of the NFL. And I should uh, say Belichick is the best. He's the the goat for for a reason. Uh, All right. Up next, Falcons Saints. There's one thing to talk about with this game. The final play. Um, Vito, I want you to go first on this one because I, we look, we all love Jameis. I love Jameis. I love Jameis for the <laughs> chaos that comes with Jameis. And that's exactly what this was. But I think there's two, there's two parts of this, right? There's the, we love Jameis because Jameis is chaotic and chaos means entertainment. And then there's the other part of it that's like, not morally, like not trying to be a high horse, but like in terms of like a football thing, like, was that a dick move or is that okay what they did? And I'm so curious to know because I know how you fall on the chaos part of it, but I want to yeah. hear where you fall on the other half of that. Man, um, so I'll say this. I'll start with this. I I think that if you're at the end of a game, I think it's okay to do this. I don't think it's the best look. I think especially – Right, all these games were divisional. You're gonna usually you don't love those people in your most division. underrated rivalry in football, by the way. Falcons Saints, they fucking hate each other. Yeah, so so that obviously adds to it. But he, here's the thing: like, if you're doing this for a, he needed a touchdown to get a bonus, right, or anything like that. I don't like that. That's why I think there's a lot of reasons why it's okay in the NFL for something like this to happen. Now, out of the victory formation, a fake run, I think that is a fucking wild thing to do. Like, I have never seen that in my life, dude. I have never seen a secret victory formation run. Like, the defense didn't know what was happening. They obviously thought, like, they're going to take a knee. We're good. Brilliant in some ways. Like, if that's, like, um, you know what I mean? If 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 you are on your own 40 and you look like you're going to do that and you end up running a giant sweep and maybe you catch them and just get to the edge, it would be amazing to see. Right. But like it wasn't, it was on the goal line. It looked like almost a tush push the, hilarious because Jameis is just so Jameis. 
And the fact that he's like, this is what we called. And then I asked the team what we wanted to do. It's like, why would you ask the team what you wanted to do, Jameis? You, head coach called something. You end up going and doing it. That's your job. But of course he goes on this stuff. And this is what comes with them. To your point, it's the chaos. Now, like, I think it's okay. Not okay to do. Like, I think the Saints have rights to be mad. If you were doing it for a reason, it's it's edible. It's digestible. You can handle it. But it seems like this was just for no, we love the running back is what he said. It's not like he got a bonus for that, right? Like if that was the case, no, I don't think anyone on the Saints would really have, or uh, on the Falcons would have a problem. But it wasn't for that. It was just so he got another touchdown. Maybe he needed one. Like, I don't no, know he if he had a, a touchdown. Himself. It was his first of the year. And and yeah, maybe, well, yeah. and that's great too. But maybe, and there's something there, but it's just like, when you go blatantly against your head coach, uh, in a big moment, your head coach gets cussed out on TV. I think there's got to be some ramifications for Jameis. I mean, this just to me, the moment I saw this, it just, and, and I'm sorry for listeners, if you have kids, hold on, like get them out real quick. I'll give you a second. Okay. When he was in Florida State and he was in the cafeteria and got caught by saying like, fucker right in the pussy. You remember that whole thing? Yeah. It was crazy. It was nuts. You're like, why would you do that, Jameis? He's doing that. This is this is the same guy. So you have to expect this kind of behavior of like every three to four years, he's going to say or do something that's blatantly not acceptable to anyone else in society, but he does it and does it with like kind of a straight face and like, what? You know, yeah. he's like a fourth Kanye. Every fourth, he's like every four years, he gets a little Kanye in him. I'm just saying that like, this is, it's insane. I don't love it. And I want to hear what you guys think about it. Yeah. Entertainment value. It's off the charts. Yeah. Phenomenal entertainment. Uh, from in terms of what I think of the decision to do it, I think it's a total scumbag move. I, I hate, I hated it. A, the disrespect to the coach and all that stuff. You make your team look bad. You make the coach look bad. You make the organization look bad. You embarrassed your coach, like all that stuff, bad, bad, bad across the board. Jamal Williams said there was no incentive. Uh, he just d- hadn't scored a touchdown this year. And because of injuries, they had to kind of move him to like a pseudo fullback role. So he didn't get as many touches as he thought. Jamal Williams led the NFL in touchdowns last year with 17. Okay. The, it's not like this is the dude's first career touchdown. There's no incentive to give him the ball whatsoever. My biggest gripe with it is not running up the score. I don't care about running up the score. Like that happens in the NFL, the 70 to 20 game. I had no issue with that. Right. My issue is if you're in victory formation, it literally does become a safety issue. And yes. if somebody on the Falcons had torn an ACL, or someone on your own team had torn an ACL, or any weird thing had happened on that play, you look like the biggest piece of shit of all time. And that is, to your point, like every few years, we get a Jameis moment that is just like, the fuck was going through your head when you did that? But to me, like, that was the the only reason I had an issue with it was because it was out of victory formation. Because play because if that's the case, and I saw a guy I used to work with, Eric McLean, said this, I played at Clemson. He was like, the defensive linemen are going to come out on victory formation and blow up yeah. the center, blow up the quarterback, blow up your guard, right? Because if if it, there's an to. unwritten rule that you just let things happen, you know, like, hey, you're taking the knee. That's going to be the end of the game. You're good there. Not in this case. This case, I thought it was a super, super shitty move on, on their part to do that um, for a bunch of reasons. But if they had just gone out in I formation and handed it off and he punches it in, no issue at all. To me, the issue with it is disrespecting and embarrassing your coach and doing it out of victory formation. The sanctity of the victory formation has just been defiled by this Jameis play. It's the unwritten rules, uh, which 
I, I, you know, even as a baseball player, I still don't, you know, fully understand why we're still operating on that procedure. Go score a touchdown. Give it to him. <laughs> Just don't do it out of victory formation. To. I don't care. Stop him earlier in the game. No, Scotty. If the rules were, if the rules were reversed, you'd be furious. A hundred percent. Exactly. <laughs> Stop him in the game. That's the true answer to this question: is if it happened to your team. How would you feel about it? And that's all it did, you need to know. I, we got scored 70 on and it sucked for weeks. I'll tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> but at least they weren't running trick plays out of victory formation. Uh, all right. We can rip that's through true. some of these uh, next few games here. Bucks, Panthers, Bucks, ugly, ugly win. Baker's banged up. Um, look, sometimes some weeks the Bucks look great. Sometimes they look terrible. They look terrible in this game, yet they still won nine nothing. Pitched a shutout. I saw the Panthers were like the first team in 20 years or something to finish their season with back-to-back shutouts. Um, yeah, a lot of issues in Carolina. Sounds Curious. like Iowa. Yeah, it does. It feels a lot like Iowa. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, we'll see what happens there. Packers, Bears, real quick. Justin Fields, the starter, week one of 2024. Go. Yes. Yep. No, he will not be. They Oof. will take Caleb Williams. Uh, and you don't think they're going to trade that? No. Even if they take him, I think they take him potentially. And Fields is still a starter. That's a possibility too. That's a possibility. I, I was, young. yeah, I meant for the, yeah. I mean, I think Justin Fields will start for someone in 2024 in week one. I don't think it'll be the Chicago bears though. Uh, and shout out to Jordan love the Packers sneak into the playoffs and uh, Jordan love looks pretty, pretty darn good in his first season as the full-time starter. So yeah. uh, after the way they started and having that slide really early in the season to bounce back, that was a, it was a good one for them. Uh, and now they get to play the Cowboys and we know what happens in that rivalry. So let's go pack, go pack, go, uh, go pack, Ra- go Raiders. Shout, 20- out, shout out Jeff Martz <laughs> uh, Raiders, 27 Broncos, 14 final season thoughts, Vito on your Broncos. They would have played Russell Wilson. I think I would have won my bet. So right now I distrust the GM uh, and George Patton has a lot to prove to me this off season. And I think all Broncos fans can agree to that point. It's balls in your court. You've had all the, you've had a blank checkbook. You get to do what you want to do. If you can't com- deliver might be moving on from a GM. So we'll see what happens there. He was in place before ownership came in. Yeah. That's a, and that's a big, big part of it too. Mm-hmm. It's a huge part of it. They're going to be what there's a bunch of really fun storylines in the off season, but the Broncos are going to be one of the sneaky underrated ones. Um, just because like I, it's not going to be the thing that leads get up every morning, but it's there's going to be stuff happening with that organization and what happens with the future of Russ. Um, and if they move on from Russ, how all that plans out and plays out is going to be really, really interesting. Uh, Seahawks Cardinals. The only thing I have on this game is shout out to Matt Prater for missing that field goal because it won me one hundred and eighty five dollars on a five dollar bet. Uh, that I was sweating out to the bitter end and thought was dead because, as you said, Vito, was it twenty three of twenty three going into that game? Yeah. 23 of 23 game winning kicks. two minutes or overtime <laughs> that he's made it. Wow. So shout out Matt Prater. Thank you so much. Yeah. Uh, Seattle. <laughs> yeah. And, it, and it hurts. Hurts Seattle's draft stock helps the Cardinals there. And it seems like the Cardinals are going to move forward with Kyler Murray. And you know what? Like credit to Kyler Might Murray. As well. He came back after the ACL tear and kind of just put his head down and went out and played each week with a not so talented football team. Won a, won a game, um, and I think he won two, actually, and uh, proved that, hey, there were still some Kyler Murray-esque plays that were going on, and, and look, Arizona should have won this game. Um, but Seattle holds on to the win and could be the end of Pete Carroll, too. I mean, he's 72. He's up there in age. 
haven't heard anything yet, but it does feel like the Seahawks are kind of in this middle ground territory. We're like, yeah, I don't really know what their future holds. And I'm, frankly, I don't think they know either. Um, watch them as a potential trade up team as well. I could see that for a, like a Michael Penix or, you know, a team like that, maybe potentially grabbing somebody to plug and play with DK and Tyler Lockett. And yeah, we'll see. They're going to be an interesting <laughs> team to keep an eye on. Chiefs, Chargers, Rams, Niners. Both of those games were all backups. Um, not a whole lot really to glean either way from those games. Cowboys beat the shit out of the Commanders 38-10. to 10. Uh, After what was a bit of a concerning start, the Cowboys losing 10-7 to 7 early in that game. They bounce back, and Dak Prescott just goes absolute ape shit on everybody. But that's what they do, right? They, they beat up on bad teams for the most part, and they dominate at home. They have the two seed. They're going to get at least two home playoff games, assuming that they beat the Packers uh, in the wild card round next week. Um, but if you're picking a team other than the Niners, the Cowboys do feel like they're going to be that 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 team in the NFC Championship game, Scotty. So I pray that you know, just like the Joe Montana era, not so much the uh, the the nine the early '90s anyway, when the Cowboys went on their runs. But I would like yeah, to see. Yeah. yeah, I would like to see the uh, the Niners get back to their winning ways against the Cowboys in the postseason. And then that leaves us with two more games. Uh, Bills, Dolphins. What an unbelievable uh, touchdown play. That pop up, the ball that got batted up in the air. It was one of the coolest touchdowns all year. One of my favorite plays that we've seen. Um, the Bills hang on to win this game, despite Josh Allen not having his best day, and the Bills come out of nowhere to take the two seed. Uh, and and to win the AFC East. The Dolphins falling apart at the seams. Uh, obviously, no Bradley Chubb, no Jalen Phillips, no Xavier Howard. They're banged up defensively, and yet every time they have the ball in their hands because of how electric Tyreek Hill is and how fast they can be offensively, I still feel like the Dolphins aren't done, but another team that, like, compared to even just a month ago, three weeks ago, hell, even after Christmas when they beat the Cowboys, it's been a tough sledding for them the last couple of weeks with the way that Ravens game went. And now the way that this one went for them not to hold on to that division, the bills on the other hand, they finished their season six and one, they were five and six or uh, yeah, five, five and five at one point, And they finished the season six and one. That's pretty damn impressive, man. That's a hell of a run for this Buffalo bills team to come all the way back and uh, to take the two seed. It's really impressive, right? It's, the inverse of what we talked about with the Jags and what we will talk about with the Eagles. And like, yeah, I think that they're getting hot at the right time to get up to the two seed was huge. Um, you know, that that's just a massive deal uh, to get all the way to there. Um, that's a huge home field advantage too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. To, to know that you'll part. have at two home games. If you win the first, like that's, that's just massive for them. It's a unique place to play. It's going to be freezing there for the rest of the year. So, uh, like, that's going to be fun for a lot of these teams to go to. Good for them. I think for the first time in this era, too, this Mahomes and Allen era, it would be the first time that Kansas City has to go to Buffalo in the postseason, which, uh, you know, with the ups and downs that this Chiefs team has had all year, it's going to be really interesting to see, right? Um, Which, yeah, if, if that makes a difference at all, or if the Bills continue their streak of of kind of handling the Chiefs, um, obviously they've struggled in the postseason against the Chiefs, but you know, at home, I don't know. I, I think that'd be a really interesting game in the second round if it were to happen. And that's where Miami has to go next week is Kansas City, and so I, like I'm not counting them out because it's going to be cold as hell, single digits. Uh, Miami on the road is a different team too, similar to what we talked about in the Cowboys in the NFC. 
uh, and then you talk like for Miami, usually when they get home and home cooking, especially in, in, in the late months, even as well as they've been able to run the ball, like for that Bills team to come in and be as resilient as they was, as they were, I, 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 man, there's, and Vic called a really good game on defense. Like they had him for most, most of that game. Um, but I, I don't know, man. I, I just think the Dolphins are, it's the same old story. Like they're there, but they're not there. They're, yeah. they're like this close, you know? And that's kind of where the Bills have been too, right? In the last couple of years. So it's, feels like the Bills have just gone through it a little bit more. And, and you know, what they end up doing with this run here. Uh, the Bills can beat anybody in the NFL, and I wouldn't be surprised. And they can lose to anybody in the NFL, and I wouldn't be surprised. And they're kind of the epitome of that this uh, this year. So, still an unbelievable season for the Bills. The roller coaster ride continues and uh, continues with them being the two seed miraculously, which you know three months ago that would have seemed like an impossibility, and yet here we are. Right, this is where the Buffalo Bills are at. Uh, and lastly. Uh, I don't want to do too much on it, but I will touch on the Philadelphia Eagles getting curb stomped by the New York Giants. Um, last six games of the season, the Eagles go one and five uh, from 10 and one to 11 and six of the second team in NFL history to start a season 10 and one and not reach 12 wins. Uh, the only other team that did that was the 1986 Jets, who before this season were known as the biggest chokers in the history of the NFL regular season. And the Eagles have now tied that record. Um, this team is an absolute dumpster fire across the board. And it's similar to what we were saying with the Doug Peterson stuff, right? Um, to me, it says so much and Rabel as well. It says so much to me about a team as to like how, what the body language is on the field, what the, the how the team talks. Um, just listening to the press conference was so depressing you know, all the all the guys, Fletch and, and Dallas Goddard and all these guys like trying to talk themselves into this idea that they're not like all of a sudden a bad football team. And that's essentially what they've turned into. The Pat, Matt Patricia situation is is obviously horrible. Um, it's just a bad scene in Philly right now, boys. It's, it's not good. Uh, that being said, like you still look at the talent and everything else and you think, OK, maybe they have a chance. But uh, you know, AJ Brown sprains his knee. I think his MCL in that game. Thank God it wasn't an ACL tear. That's what my first thought was with the way he looked when he was on the ground. Um, Devontae Smith didn't play in this game. Jalen's fingers going a bunch of different random directions. He's going to need to get that surgery on that gnarly. after the season. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyone who's been around football or coached it or, or you know, been around practice, like those finger dis- uh, dislocations happen. It's tough when it's your quarterback and it's your throwing hand. You know, it happened to Russ a couple of years ago when he was in Seattle. Um, yeah, man, it's just bad. It's bad across the board. The offense is stale. Uh, it's super predictable. The same thing that got them the shit kicked out of them in the postseason two years ago against Tampa Bay was, you know, Jalen Hurts not being able to handle the blitz. And all the Giants did was just blitz. And the only team that blitzes more than the Giants in the NFL is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So what do you think is going to happen? They're going to blitz. It's it's it, That was 2021. We are now into 2024, and the Eagles still have not learned how to pick up a blitz or how to protect for it. Um, you know, I said to you guys, like, if you're a head coach and you, you're an offensive head coach and you don't call plays and you're not some, like, offensive guru and you don't really know how to hire defensive coordinators – 
and you're not really good at developing the culture because the culture is completely fallen to shit. What exactly do you do? Like what, 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 what is your job? What is your value of a head coach? If you cannot do any of those things, um, and going into this week, I thought the talk of Sirianni, you know, Eagles fans saying fire Sirianni, all that stuff was a bit overkill. And now I'm kind of on board with this idea of like, look, if, if like this is the worst football I've seen the Eagles play probably since Andy Reid's last year in Philly. Like this, this six game stretch has been the worst football that they've played since 2012. Um, even Doug's last year didn't feel this bad. This is, this is a team that feels completely broken and I, I it's crazy because they were just in the Super Bowl right less than a year ago and this time last year it's a totally different tune and, and to think oh we're going to change all that well you lose both coordinators one of them ends up being an awesome awesome head coach and your offensive guru I know Sirianni's great with the guys I know like guys love him and stand up for him and AJ Brown's press conference last week was all about that stuff but just to have all that and to show up in this game have no ability to bounce back to show that you give a shit to show you have a backbone. It's disheartening, man. It sucks as a fan to be in this spot. And I, I said it last week and I'll say it again. Like the only thing worse than your fans being frustrated and angry about a team sucking is fans not caring. And ultimately the way this Eagles team has performed in the last six weeks has created so much apathy about this Eagles team that people just don't really care. Because they know what's going to happen, they they know like they know exactly what's going to happen. Even if they go up to a big lead, they know what's going to happen. And the way the Sirianni handled the Sean Desai and Matt Patricia stuff, it's just it's bad. It's bad right now, and I I fully anticipate them losing in this first round. And whatever happens after that happens, I, I'm going to go in on Sunday on Monday night and biggest cheerleader. Let's go! Comeback starts now. Show everybody you can still do it. Um. But do I realistically think that's going to happen? I, I I don't. I don't. And I don't think there's any evidence to support that with the way that this team has played over the last six weeks. So it stinks. That's, that's where we're at. Yeah, I think uh, it's definitely a tough place to be. Um, but what I will say is that I I definitely have faith, like this matchup against Tampa with Baker banged up and everything like that. And like Todd Bowles is good on defense. Their defense is going to be playing well. So it's going to come back to the Seagulls offense, getting clicking again. Right. And to your point, a spark just has to happen at one point. So I don't know what it is. It doesn't happen this week. Um, depending on how this game goes, I think it'll be more of an interesting conversation. Right. Um, but if they can win this game and just make it to that next round and see what happens, like, they're in a, a very different place. It seems like last year it was like, Hey, we're going to win this whole thing. And that's the goal Bust. this year. It's like, yeah. we just want to spark. We just want some piece of goodness at the end. Like it's, you know what I mean? It just feels yeah. different. It's like, it's like, give us a win in the playoffs to make it. So it feels like it's worth something kind of, but like, it doesn't feel like, Hey, this team's ready to make a deep run to a super bowl. Right. And, yeah. But um, yet I, I still, am of, of the mind of like, until they're dead and buried, there's so much talent on that team that that is proven talent. I don't well, you talk about yeah, all you want this year. Who plays too? Like, yeah, AJ. But like, you know? there's like, so much proven talent on that team that until they are dead and buried, I am not counting them out at all. I 
anticipate playing them still in the uh, in the NFC title game. Um, that's that's just, and that part of that's the the culture that Sirianni's built up. I think, um, and, and for for everyone to be so dismissive about it is fine. And and Jeff, what I told you when when we were talking about it Sunday night is like you have an opportunity that eighteen other teams in the league, including Vito's, do not have. Yeah. Right. You have a but, shot. That's but, all that matters. That's Jeff's point. What are you gonna do with it? Yeah. Like ultimately, like that. That's, that's where go out and you know, get it. It's right there for you, and you you I are one do, of man. fourteen teams that have a shot at it. And I'm I'm with you on that, Scott. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, I understand that. To me, like, I go back to the Jalen Hurts quote from last year that I everyone loved. I loved it. I still love. It. I think it's a great quote. But saying he's like, I'm not a thermometer. I'm the thermostat. Like, I come in and I set the tone. I set the temperature. This is a team full of thermostats right now or a team full of thermometers right now, right? They're all looking around each other, asking the same questions that we are, which is who's going to create the spark. And we've all been in those situations in school, in work, in life, where you're like, who's going to be the one that does it? Like, who's going to be the one that does this? And you all look around at each other and it's a very human like reaction. And ultimately it's like, that's the head coach's job to be like, Hey, we are going to fucking do this. And then it's your leaders. It's your Jason Kelsey's and your Jalen hurts and your Brandon Graham's and Fletcher Cox's. Those are the guys that have to come in and be like, Hey guys, like let's fucking wake up. Let's go do this. Let's let's be the thermostat, not the thermometer. And right now they're a team full of thermometers. They're all looking around, reading the room, feeling like everything's falling and no one's doing anything to try to stop it. And to me, like there was a, uh, I wouldn't call it a report, but a tweet from an Eagles, ins- uh, a journalist who covers the Eagles, who at halftime tweeted out, Jason Kelsey is literally almost in tears right now, like walking off at halftime. And if like, this is Jason Kelsey's last year, and this is how he goes out with this team and the way that they've played, that is such a disservice to that that core four, that Lane Johnson, Fletcher Cox, Brandon Graham, Jason Kelsey. Like it is it is such a it'd be such a shame for the Eagles to wrap up the career of four guys who are legends, three of which are probably future Hall of Famers, um, at least two. I it, it would be a really, really, really big shame if that's how this ultimately goes. And uh, it's crazy to me that like they're playing some unbelievable, like they have guys who individually, they're going to have three guys who are on the all pro team, like AJ Brown, Jason Kelsey, Landon Dickerson, or Lane Johnson. One of those two, like three of those four guys are going to be all pros. You know, they had eight pro bowlers, you know, like it, it, it's, it's a, this team is just broken. And I understand your point, Scotty. Like if I was in your shoes and the roles were reversed and you look at all the talent and everything, can't count it out. I get it. But there's been too many signs. And I feel like I've been saying this now for, for two months about this team where I'm like, they're a good team. They're not a great team. Now they're not even a good team. They're a bad team with the way that they've been playing over the last, you know, they went through that gauntlet we talked about all year. So that way they could finish the season with Seattle, New York, Arizona, and New York again. And they go one in three in those games whereas they go well you know five and two in the in the gauntlet that they had hey, right and there it is glass half full if you play good teams you beat good teams yeah maybe that's the problem it maybe could you be. just need a better team could be i think it's dom i think it's because dom's on his hand the big dom the big dom dom's back i doubt we, hey that's what i mean glass half full i'm, I'm good you know what 
I'm going to put the account on the Eagles this weekend. I think I'm going to go ahead and do that. Just I, put all in. I very I, much suggest you is, not to do that. From, from a from a from this a sports fan's advice. perspective, like I get we're like we're like semi rivals. You and you and my team and your team, right? Because mm. of how good we are, and I get like you guys have standards, right? That's just what Philadelphia does, um, for their sports teams. But like, again, like there there are eighteen other teams out there that would ki- literally. Probably commit murder if not shell out several shekels uh, or organs for their team to be in the spot that you are right now. Hey, look, Scotty, and we talk about it all I'm the time. Like, just enjoy it, Scotty. Like, just enjoy I'm, the football, Scotty. Like, I'm with you, bud. But like, what is enjoyable about your team finishing the way that the Eagles have had have finished, and then going into I, the postseason and potentially get, losing yeah. in the first round of the Tampa Bay it's, Buccaneers? It's right? hard. Like, to, it's hard to see that on the sideline. Right where we you know, are sitting. There's there's not there's nothing fun about watching your team get blown out by the New York Giants in week 18 no. with a potential two seed on the line. There there's nothing fun about that, you know. And, no, I get and, it, but hopefully winning it. a playoff game is fun. So that's that's and the look, focus now. Maybe maybe that New York Jets team in 1986 that had the same record as the Eagles and same story, they won a playoff game. So maybe it takes one. You know, Dallas Goddard said, and again, it's part of that like kind of trying to find answers for it. Dallas Goddard said, hey, you know, it feels like since they wrapped up playoff, you know, they locked in the playoff stuff. The team's kind of taken the foot off the gas a little bit. Still don't love that. <laughs> that's that's not a good thing. But it does open up that little bit of hope that maybe something will happen. Like I said, on Monday night, I'm going to be rah-rah, go birds. Let's make it happen. Let's turn it on now. But just like I always do, I have my fan side and I have my realistic side. My realistic side has been telling me for for two months now what this team is. And my Eagles rah-rah fan side is still going to get up for all those games, expecting them to come out and be the best team in the NFL. The realistic side is right the majority of the time when it comes to the Eagles. I hope I'm wrong this time. I really, really do. And we'll see what they do. I mean, they, they, they have a chance to go and beat a bad football team in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Not a bad, but not a good, a mediocre team. And if you can't get up for that game, you can't get up and win that game, then to your point earlier, Vito, that conversation about Nick Sirianni, especially if it's a bad loss, if it's a bad loss, I, Jeffrey Lurie, if there's one thing I know about Jeffrey Lurie as an owner, he hates being embarrassed. And so far, this team has embarrassed him over the last two months, and I would not put it past him. To, he he fired Andy Reid. He fired Chip Kelly after two good years, and he fired – Doug Peterson, who won him his first Super Bowl three years after they won it. So anything can happen. It's going to be really interesting to see. But we'll go through all that stuff when we pick our games on Friday's pod. So uh, stick around. We We will be back later on the week. Full preview for Super Wild Card Weekend. For the boys, I am Jeff. We will talk to you guys next week. And as always, take it easy.